Welcome to Anthropology of Girlhood, uh, a podcast about girlhood from a couple of folks who had a complicated one, and honestly, we're still confused. Um, I'm Alexa Ray Hack. I'm a comedian and storyteller. I use she/her pronouns. I'm Micah Silvern. I'm a childcare provider who specializes in social emotional learning, and I use they/them pronouns. And we feel like, as people who deal with childhood a lot, me and my writing about it, and you and your literally molding the childhoods of small humans and we feel like we kind of have a lot to say on the topic of molding young women and femme people in particular so that's why we're doing this show today we're talking about the sisterhood of the traveling pants a movie that we both really connected with as children um and yeah it's a really good spot to just dive into the whole subject if we think yeah, it has a good, I think because it has a bunch of main characters, we get like a good sort of spectrum of things to talk about. This is a good sort of scene setting podcast. I think that's why we led with this one. Uh, follow us on social media. I'll leave a review. Um, just a quick warning up top. There is some talk of mental health issues and suicide, but it's pretty quick and light as far as the topic goes. Thanks for listening, y'all. Enjoy. Movies like this were kind of a look into a world that I wanted to be part of and had no idea how to get there. They were like uh, Nat Geo documentaries for my teenage self. That's a good way to look at this. This show is really just like National Geographic. We are the David Attenborough of girlhood just trying not to trying to observe it in its natural habitat in the only environment that we are given which is movies so we're talking about sisterhood of the traveling pants today um we're talking about this because it's one of the the only of these movies that i actually did have some exposure to as a child um and so it does have some resonance for me this movie is from 2005 it's directed by ken quapis quapis uh he didn't this is he just basically has directed this and he's just not that into you which is not exactly enormous like body of or impressive body of work i think this movie is just just okayly made like i would not say there's anything like spectacular in the production or direction of this movie it has its moments, but it definitely do- isn't anything spectacular. I definitely would recommend watching it again. It holds up pretty well. Yeah, it's good. I would recommend it. Uh, I definitely, if you have some other millennial friends that you want to watch this to watch this with, it'll be like a real fun blast from the past. What with Alexis Bledel and America Ferrera, who are like so rooted in the early 2000s in my mind. I mean, Blake Lively is for me, but I'm younger and Gossip Girl was a thing for me. Yeah, right. I never interacted with that show, really. So also speaking of like 2005 fucking flashbacks, I was rolling through the soundtrack and oh, man, it is like rife with 2000s like romance movie hits. There's uh, Five for Fighting is on here. Brandy Carlisle is on the soundtrack. There's some Natasha Bedingfield, you know the one, that Natasha Bedingfield song. And, and a pre-breakthrough Katy Perry that you probably don't even recognize, because it's back when she was still writing her own music. I did not know that. This is <laughs> probably post-Christian Yeah, this is, this is like post-Christian, but pre- Kissed a girl. Exactly, pre-I kissed a girl, Katy Perry look out for it it's it's wild we're gonna sort of roll through like i said we're mostly talking about girlhood and childhood and growing up so we might talk about specific parts of the movie we might not so don't get mad at us if we don't describe your favorite scene because it's not about you i say that because i do want to talk about this opening scene there's the this movie opens on a shot of like sewing machines sewing together a pair of pants presumably the the magic pair of pants about which the titular pair of pants if you will the sisterhood pants i'm gonna say pants about a million more times this fucking episode um and i i don't know i i don't know why i brought up the sewing machine other than that it's, i'm a, uh, 
it's really cool and pretty. I'm a sucker for like deconstructed how to videos. Like I love watching. Yeah, this feels like proto. How did this get made? Yeah, I love. How did this get made? That's not what I meant. How it's made? How did this get made? Is the podcast I meant the TV show? Oh boy. Uh, yeah, I, the opening credits are gorgeous and it really pulls me in in a surreal way, pulling the magic into the pants in a very unique way, I think. Yeah, and I think we will talk about the magic pants again. The magic pants will come up as, again, they're central. It's not like they're a plot device or anything. But I do think this, this might speak, these pants might be like a symptom of the larger like childhood magic thing that we see a lot. Although these pants are very lightly magical and one might be argued other than their shape changing, it's basically just confirmation bias, but that's not important. Anyway, rolling on through, I did want to talk about, there's a big ballet sequence early in this movie that doesn't come back yeah ballet was a big like unattainable thing for me as a kid because i would like i lived like right down the street from this like dance studio and i always saw the girls coming and going in their dance costumes and i I wanted to dance so bad but i of course was not allowed so uh that that ballet scene was like weirdly triggering for me interestingly yeah dance has always been something that like I've been attracted to in theory, but the practice has always been not attainable. And it's the opening scene of like having your four friends or three friends or whatever by your side and able to do an activity together like that is completely foreign to me. Like all of my friends had their own separate activities. We didn't really do extracurriculars together. Yeah, I don't think my friends did either. Like, I, if I did extracurriculars, like, I had my friends from that, and they didn't really cross over all that much, except that they all became D&D friends in the end, let's be honest. All Everyone, friends All are friends, friends just channel into the funnel of D&D friends at some point, I think. Um, if you're me, I guess. Maybe other people have constructive hobbies. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know what you do with your time. Maybe you make horseshoes or something. So I have this hypothesis that this movie, like all movies and TV that contain a group of women, are actually a single woman uh, projecting her personality outwards uh, into a bunch of different people. This is the Sex and the City rule, of course, where, of course, all of Carrie's friends are just projections that she uses to write uh, her column. This movie doesn't hold up to that full up that uh, hypothesis quite as well because none of them is the boring friend who doesn't have a personality and is therefore projecting it outward onto everyone else. But it is interesting way to look at this movie anyway. It probably doesn't matter. I think that also like as a teenager that really happens. You see people very one dimensionally and very um, singularly because of how you've experienced life so far you haven't really started to learn how multifaceted people can be and so if you have the alt friend that is who they are that is their entire personality if you have the sports friend that is their entire personality and everything you know about them you channel through that filter i guess that makes sense maybe i am just confused by the fact that most of my friends growing up didn't really like like we all did the same stuff we were all video game friends or whatever yeah friendships like this were always like yeah it seems like these four people should not be friends like i understand that it's a movie and so like we're trying to whatever bring together the corners of the cinema girl universe but like it does not seem like these people should be friends. If I, like, if I was any one of these girls, I would hate at least one, if not all three of the other ones. I get that it's like this kismet, like, they were born at the same time, they've always been together thing. But, like, I feel like those friendships peter out by the time you're, like, a teenager, I feel like I had those friends growing up where, like, we were friends because we'd always lived next door. And then we got to be in, like, sixth grade and we were like, oh, I actually hate you now. 
you're the worst. Let's do other stuff. Yeah, I'd also like I didn't really have long lasting relationships with friends until late middle school, high school. I was very much like friends would last maybe a couple months and then we would figure out we actually hated each other. So like the this long seated we're like sisters relationship was always something that like was taught to me as something to strive for and constantly was something what I want I was striving for and it was very it's very uh, isolating in a weird way to like have all of your friendships feel like they're not good enough because you are comparing them to what little you have of media especially with movies like this totally yeah yeah and like I mean, like, that's groups of friends in all movies, right? Are always, like, tighter friends more in each other's lives than, like, real humans could be because, like, they don't have real lives. They're movie characters. But, you know, like you said, like, when you're a kid, you don't, you're not as aware of that in the same way. And it does definitely, like, affect the way you think about yourself and your own friendships. That is interesting. I never really had that because I think um, growing up as a masculine kid, like I didn't have expectations of masculine friendships in the same way because I think masculine friendships aren't expected to like support each other emotionally in the same way that the girls in this movie obviously do. Yeah, if I like called one of my friends crying about like, my dad's new family they would have like fucking laughed at me and put me on speakerphone so that a bunch of people could laugh at me so like this is very much uh a foreign idea this emotional support yeah i had too many experiences of trying to open up to girls and them going and telling their friends about it um to like ever really do it again i was also you know undiagnosed adhd and bipolar so everything was <laughs> yeah i mean a little... well yeah we'll dig into that stuff i'm sure i'm sure that stuff was a big part of why we were both so weird growing up <laughs> definitely okay but the concept of the pants themselves is also yes let's get into the pants I am a tall, fat person. No one ever could find pairs of pants that could match my size. I know. This, like, like, it's so funny because, like, if somebody pulled this pair of pants off the shelf and they had been cut for one of us, they'd be like, oh, my God, they sell pants this size? I would be so ecstatic. <laughs> that magic of that would be that they existed. Yeah, that yeah, magic pants for you and I is like, oh, I found pants! Hooray! They're this must be fucking magic because these fit me off the rack. That's literally never happened. Yeah, also like, I was not a fan of going shopping with my friends ever. Um, as the tall fat friend. Yeah, is it this a thing? Hold on, I have a question. Do girlfriends shop together? I would have never gone to buy clothes with my male friends. That seems insane to me. I do not need my friends' feedback immediately. I'm anxious enough at the store without men around to hassle me about what I'm buying. Oh, yeah. I Plenty of times, uh, the mall was right across the street from my high school, so... There were plenty of days that we would go after school and my friends would be like, let's go hit up Aeropostale and Forever 21. And I would just stand there looking at accessories because nothing in the goddamn store would fit me. And especially around dance season, when it was time to look for homecoming dresses or prom dresses, it was my worst nightmare. I was always the kid who was the last one to find a dress. It was always from like Target and Kohl's and it was always hideous or like a last ditch effort that i just like impulse bought because i didn't know what else to wear i guess my version of shopping at the mall across the street from my high school is that 
There was a hobby store that was across the street from my middle school. Shout out to Galaxy Comics and Games. I don't think you exist anymore. Um, and that that was where I went after school to go shopping for comics and fucking magic cards and shit with my friends. So maybe we did go shopping together. But like the idea of buying a pair of jeans and then also the idea of just taking my pants off in front of my friends just like no big deal i'm just gonna strip down to my underwear in this department store and hand my friend this pair of jeans like i cannot imagine the id that makes me want to set myself on fire absolutely (laughs) i like really identified heavily with uh lena's character because of like how uncomfortable she was with her body and how she is like scared to show it off and it's something that like as a fat femme person i was always told if i'm not performing the peak femininity and doing everything correctly you know like my body's not appropriate it's not okay and it's wild to me that people could have the confidence to just strip in the middle of a store. Just take their pants off. And, like, I just, like, not even in front of your friends, but, like, just the concept of changing. Yeah, they take, if you've not seen this movie, like, a couple of people use the dressing room, and then at some point they just start taking their pants off in the middle of the, the store. There's obviously other people just milling about in the store, just fine with Blake Lively walking around in her underwear. I mean, I would be okay with Blake Lively walking around in her underwear, but that's because it's Blake Lively. I, like, definitely identified with each of them. Well, yeah, each of them have, like, that characteristic that I really identified heavily with. Uh, Lena's, like, anxiety uh, around life. Uh, Tibby's weird slightly unreasonable anger at the world carmen's like alienation from her family and what's her name b uh blake lively's character uh Uh, bridget bridget uh bridget's like obsession and drive for things that are make her feel alive like totally and i think like these movies are designed in that way right that like they're these characters are supposed to be sort of grabbable like anybody's supposed to be able to sort of grab on to them that's how the they're constructed um i think i want to there like we didn't we said we didn't want to talk about uh the movie shot to shot but i do want to talk about a couple of specific things so we go to the so we do the intro we get the pants, summer happens, I guess, right? And then we are in Greece with Alexis Bledel, who Lena. plays Lena. Um, and if this is, of course, shot in Santorini, Greece, if you want to go visit, it's beautiful. Um, I just thought it was interesting that they use, like, a lot of big, wide shots, like, that, that aren't in a lot of the rest of the movie, to just, like, show how how sort of overwhelming this space is like it feels like even this little like mountain island town in greece feels really like imposing because it's like all white and it just like stands stark out of the sea and it's also like because it's shot wide a lot the characters look small in the frame um and it it feels really overwhelming which is a cool way to to denote like you're in a foreign place you feel uncomfortable even without the like you speak in greek all the time which again they they also speak a lot of greek um i think also doubling down with that with how like intense and in your face her family is when she first comes in really like sets the tone of how out of her element she is and really helps set the story for her growth there totally yeah i mean it's like a real anxiety trigger for me, frankly, as an anxious person, and even as a la- as like a, a language uh, fan. Like the idea of just a bunch of people like screaming at me in a language that I barely speak is just like I'm having a panic attack now thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. I that her greeting her grandparents for the first time. That whole scene just puts me on edge because of like the sudden rush of everyone paying attention to you and like 
all of this hustle and bustle around you and everyone touching you just makes my skin crawl. (laughs) So, and then after that, the movie heads to Mexico where we're following Blake Lively's character, Bridget, to a soccer camp in Mexico where she is grossly going to fall in love with her counselor, who presumably is an adult man who is should know better than to get involved with a child, an actual child. Look, I have spent a lot of time at summer camps, and there is always a you always get a crush on a counselor, and it is always a horrible, horrible idea. Yeah, but it's... as a counselor, I mean, he does a good job in the beginning of this movie, but they kind of do the, like, reverse, the inverse of the, like, he wore her down story that, like, she just pesters him over and over and over until eventually he gives in and dates her and then like spoiler i guess they have sex in the end and it's like traumatic because of course you can't have sex as a as a teenager or an unmarried person and not have it be traumatic or end in a pregnancy you can't just have sex for fun anyway but yeah but at no point is does he have a conversation where he's like look i'm your counselor i'm an adult like it is my job like you this is not okay this is you know i, I I I will I will work somewhere else if that you cannot control yourself like this is inappropriate. He's just like ha 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 this is funny ha 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 I'm not interested. No dude, she's a child. <laughs> and if you are that uncomfortable with her, talk to your superiors. Like I've been in situations similar where there's like kids slightly like who like start crossing boundaries. And if you can't get them to stop yourself, that's when you go, I don't feel comfortable working right now with this child. Can someone step in for me? Yeah. Because like as someone who's working with children, you're usually taught that like someone who is showing like someone who is showing inappropriate sexual advances are usually based around trauma. Yeah. And you do not want to continue that trauma. Yeah. This whole Blake Lively character, I mean, I don't want to infer anything, but it makes me uncomfortable the way she, a child, just, like, aggressively throws herself at this adult man. And, like, I get that she's supposed to be, like, she's a teenager, she's having fun, like, she she wants to explore, and that's great. She should do that. But... It is also a little uncomfortable because it's so ill-placed. I don't know. Yeah, so I have two thoughts on Blake Lively's character. One, I think they needed to explain how her mother died a lot sooner to explain her recklessness and, like, have that. Because, like, her mother committed suicide. That's how Oh, she yeah, dies. I don't think I ever picked that up. Yeah, so her I mom don't... either was, like depressed or bipolar or something and because there's the sleepover scene near the end where they talk about her mom coming in after a bad episode and making a pizza with everything in their fridge and like yeah that sounds like bipolar all right and then Blake Lively not understanding how her mom could leave her like that and then not wanting to feel sad because it means she's not like her mom and like breaking that down. Okay, well that is not how mental health works. No, it's not. Let me just tell you, let me give you a little... A little piece of advice. Do, don't do not not feel your feelings. It makes them worse. Um, and two, something that we don't talk about in a society, in society a lot, is how obsessive teen girls can get and how dangerous that is. Because I remember having these, like, given again, I have the filter of I get hyper-focused and this was something that I was still learning about myself. But I would get obsessed about things especially relationships that i thought were happening and like not actually thing where everything was a sign that whole idea that everything that is a sign and they're trying to connect with me even though it's just like coincidence random they're talking and they just happen to be in the same room and the single-mindedness that can get you in trouble like that is definitely something that like I recognize and can understand and empathize with. I still, and like, I completely put blame on her counselor for not stopping this and not stepping forward. Like, 
the moment she stepped off campus and showed up in a bar outside of camp, she should have been sent home. Yeah, that that is really uncomfortable. That that really is where among other things where the line gets crossed where it's like, okay, now she's like actually stalking you. Like she snuck out of camp to follow you to a bar and like stalk you. This is this is not okay. Yeah. It's not cute anymore. Yeah, it's wild. It's yeah. I did want to call out there's <laughs> one of Blake Lively's friends. I just have her as Freckle Girl in my notes. I'm sorry Freckle Girl. I didn't take down your name. She, she just says she says i hate camp i didn't want to be here and somebody's like so why are you here oh my mom just wanted to get to get rid of me and i was like oh look i'm in this movie this movie <laughs> does speak to my childhood so then from mexico we move we move to um america ferrera's character in i guess it's maryland yeah um south carolina south carolina is it south South carolina Carolina? because he's uh he was originally in charleston y'all y'all i have maryland in my notes i don't know where i got that from anyway it's because of i don't know i don't know why uh but bradley whitford plays her dad which is a little odd but i don't i just i wanted I wanted him to be better because I wanted this movie to be better. I think this speaks to, like, the – probably speaks to the, like, novice director. But, like, I don't feel like anybody's really doing it in this movie, which is disappointing because, like, Bradley Whitford's a really good actor. Like, there's some good actors in here. Um but that just none of them i just don't feel like anybody's doing anything you also have like a four book series to pull ideas from and you can't get past the first dimension of characters it's maddening yeah i mean maybe the idea was for this to be like a series of movies I, they did make a sequel that did terribly i think but uh oh i didn't even know they made a sequel oh yeah there's a sequel well maybe we'll do that one too someday um oh and um bradley whitford's new kids bradley whitford is getting remarried surprise surprise to uh a just like a terrifying white woman just like the most just like if you've not seen this movie recently picture a suburban white woman you got it you're there and her kids are terrifyingly aryan they have they're both have like light eyes and light hair it's fucking terrifying i did want to point out the the boy the male child of of bradley whitford's paul is the kid's name he is the lead actor from the disney channel original movie alley cat strike i thought i recognized (laughs) yeah i had to look him up uh a movie that i was obsessed with and that caused me to wear bowling shirts and listen to like weird jazz music for like years afterwards so i just had to really give that a shout out because that spoke to me more than anything else in this movie the whole scene of carmen and her dad driving to his new house and her realizing that he no longer lives where she's used to him living and him moving into a development after after she recalls him not ever liking developments and saying something about it this whole like disconnect of who you remember your parents being was something that I remember really connecting with as a child of and I think especially when you have parents who divorce and remarry like I did like you see your parents become different people to fit their new spouse and or like to become themselves like when my parents got divorced I saw my parents like you know become themselves and then also get into relationships and become other people because of those relationships which I think is a thing you have to get used to as an adult, but as a child, it feels like your parents have to be these, like, big, immutable creatures who are always the same as you remember them. Um, and it is uncomfortable. It's terrifying to have your parents, like, be totally different than how you, than what you expect of them. 
Yeah, I like watch I watched my dad go through the trauma of losing his father and how that changed him. It was completely wild to me as a child who like idolized their father and was really close to their father and then all of a sudden he's not the same person I remember him being and having this disconnect of that memory of him and like idolizing that memory of him versus the reality is so jarring and terrifying as a small one for a real quick uh hot pivot away from those emotions there's a crazy amount of neutrogena ad placement in this movie uh, I don't know if you noticed. I did it. not notice when uh, Alexis Bledel, Lena, is packing up her bag early in the movie. She like very prominently puts her Neutrogena moisturizer on the very top of her bag, and I was like, "Bitch, that's gonna explode there." And, <laughs> and then she opens it when she gets to Greece, and it's still perfectly placed in the middle of her suitcase. And I was like, "Fuck you, no, absolutely not." And then I don't remember. Oh yeah, later. This is in my notes because we cut now to the Walmans, the department store where our third lead, Libby? Tibby. Tibby. Weird name. This is where uh, she works. Um, and one of the end caps is literally just full of Neutrogena products. <laughs> I have seen this movie probably half a dozen times and I have never caught that. Oh yeah, it's blatant. But yeah, so Tibby is uh, an alti creative type and she's trying to make a documentary about boring people in her boring small town because she thinks she's better than them. <laughs> is that, did I more or less nail it? As as a person who was Tibby as a child, who was like, I am better than all you shitty townies, which I wasn't wrong, but it was shitty of me to say. I really identified with this, and it is really uncomfortable, because it's obvious from the beginning what's happening. If you are someone who had, who was like her, where you're like, oh, bud, they're not zoo creatures, you, they're human beings, you are not better than them just because you are younger. But it is really interesting to see, I mean, I, I feel like movies are never good at portraying creative people in general. It's like, oh, well, you have creative interests then you must be unreliable and have a blue streak in your hair why is it always blue you could always it could be purple or red <laughs> yeah i don't know why i don't know why it has to be blue oh with tibby we meet her friend bailey who's going to be her assistant and also who's going to be her sort of connection in this movie all the other characters all the other characters have love interests no because uh, Carmen doesn't. Carmen doesn't have a love interest. But they all have some sort of, like, emotional connection they have to make with a person. And uh, Bailey is Tibby's. Uh, I love Bailey as a character. I think uh, she does a really good job of forcing Tibby out of her shell and realizing that people are people and not just there for her entertainment and her use of art. Um, and I... Bailey's storyline is the thing that makes me cry every time I watch this movie. I can't. It just gets me. I don't know why. It just does. Yeah, I mean, Sick Kids is hard. It's hard not to uh, be struck by Sick Kids. Um, I feel like, I don't know, it's, it's good and it tugs at the heartstrings, but I feel like it might be a little lazy. Like, it's a little... And I know all this stuff is based on a book, so it's like... I was also going to say... I'm not, was, I can only criticize the story so much. It was also written back in 2005 before all of this was like... Before Sick Kid was a common as common as a trope. I don't feel like Sick Kid is a new trope since 2005. I think you have just been watching movies since 2005. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. But so anyway, from this point in the movie, we sort of clip along, going back and cutting back and forth between our four lead protagonists sort of moving their their respective stories, their love interests, their their love interests, their connections with people. Uh, I thought it was funny that every time we cut to Greece, there has to be some like classical mandolin and accordion playing to of remind course. us that we're in Greece. <laughs> 
Um, and I did also want to, this is also in the middle of this movie here is where we meet, um, Kostos, the Greek love interest for Lena, who's like, man, I'm, I'm so gay, but Jesus Christ, am I straight for like beautiful bronze Greek men? Jesus Christ, Kostos. Uh, yeah. I also really appreciate how he is uh, breaking down the generational trauma of what happened with his grandparents and Lena's grandparents. And it's just like, why does the trouble of old men have to stop us and as it is a little bit right it's like a little bit west side story or romeo and juliet right of like we don't have to be held back by the decisions of our families and stuff i do also think it's weird like i don't know if like the the character is made to only be a handful of years older than lena but again an adult and lena is meant to be a high school high school person so still gross but obviously that actor is like way older than her uh and it's really uncomfortable like i uh, again i'm perfectly comfortable with children date with teenagers dating just they just not dating full-grown adult men with jobs who support themselves it's uncomfortable the power dynamic is bad yeah uh he definitely gives off some of the your college buddy who's dating the high schooler vibe yeah it's bad it's gross and it's not great this movie doesn't really know how to do appropriate ages in relationships but can we chalk that up to 2005 and bad writing yeah that is part of it there is one beautiful like there's not a lot of uh like weird movie trickery or anything in here but i do have in my notes that there's an interesting like soccer ball transition where we kick up a ball in one scene and then we do the thing where we cut back to a different ball falling in one of the other locations i don't know i thought it was just a fun cute little edit i love that edit i think it is one of the most fun transitions in the movie yeah in a movie that doesn't really have much in the way of like fun transitions or fun camera moves like there's no crane shots there's no uh, you know there's no like whip pans there's nothing weird in this movie no big long dolly shots it's just like a lot of blocked off sitcom shooting yeah it definitely gives off the tibby shot this over the summer (laughs) yeah totally i want to talk about brian brian mcbrian i think is his name i have him in my notes as brian mcbrian so tibby meets a guy who's playing dragon's lair on a on a stand-up arcade machine which I didn't know Dragon's Lair was made as a stand-up arcade machine, but that's fine. I'm an idiot. That's I'm okay with that. But like I just want to stop down and talk about how like this movie makes Dragon's Lair seem way cooler than it is. I played Dragon's Lair. I'm old. This game was not good. <laughs> It's not a good game. It's pretty because it's hand animated, but it's not a good game. It's not the kind of game you would want to put dozens of dollars in at a fucking arcade. This it's a fucking it's fucking annoying. Anyway, um but Brian McBrian I think is only in this one scene in this movie and I it's too bad cuz I really wanted him to be a love interest. I from- I think because I it was I was Brian. <laughs> As a child, I had to stand for Brian. I remember him being a love interest more than it actually was. I He's literally in this one scene. Yeah, he's in this movie for five minutes, and I distinctly, maybe it's because I have a thing for soft gamer boys, but I distinctly remember him from, like, being in it way more. Also, I wanted to say, like, it's less noticeable with the other girls, but, like, the design of their rooms is so beautiful tibby's room is like this dark purple color which like i don't know you obviously had super permissive parents because my parents would not let me pick a dark purple for my walls um but i just think it's interesting how like beautifully designed kids rooms always are in movies and tv like my room was never my, room oh, my was never posters cool. were always all like half torn and sagging off the walls and stuff my parents did let me paint my room purple but it was a really ugly purple oh i have a theory we should have 
done this when we talked about Costas, but we're we're here. We're back. We're bouncing around. The show doesn't have a structure. We're just doing what we do. Is Costas a manic pixie dreamboat? He's kind of a manic pixie dream girl, but he's a man. Um, he doesn't really exist. He doesn't really do anything except like he doesn't have a character except to get uh lena to like relax and come out of her shell and then when she does he just like disappears um so yeah i think he might be a manic pixie dreamboat which i think will probably come up again in these movies i suspect also i'm just proud of myself for coining the masculine version of manic pixie dream girl i'm that was pretty pretty tits <laughs> i definitely think we're gonna come across this trope a lot and i i'm excited to see how much overlap there is between the two for sure oh do you want to talk about the dress scene yes um there's a moment in the in the sort of fourth act of this movie where uh they are picking out uh like bridesmaid dresses for uh carmen's for bradley whitford and his new wife um and of course all of her kids are rel you know thin uh thin folks and uh alexa uh blah 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 america ferrera is not um and yeah as as two folks who are also uh chubby this was like a big this was a big deal for both of us i think i mean i think we it's probably pretty clear that we both identified with this carmen character for various reasons but this in particular this like not being able to do to buy the clothes that everybody else is buying like having to go to a special store or have a thing fixed to be able to just like look regular is very real and very triggering for my childhood and yeah i thought that was interesting did you have more yeah so this whole scene is like it cuts me down to my core because i had so many moments in dressing rooms of shops looking for prom dresses and looking for outfits and to the point of where I had my junior year prom dress handmade for me by a friend's mom because I couldn't find anything in any store that fit. And I just remember sobbing on the floor of a Kohl's or something because I couldn't find a dress and... Of a Kohl's, what a what a Midwest oh, call out to it was to, sh- to shopping at the Kohl's, man. You had money, you could buy clothes at Kohl's. I, yeah. I shopped at Kmart because I was poor. Anyway, yeah, I wasn't until my senior prom where I wore a suit that I was like, oh, I can find clothes that fit me. <laughs> <laughs> this scene is very satisfying to me because Carmen goes off on her stepmom and like calls it out for what it is and as someone who was always too shy and too scared to ever face that when i got comments about my waist or yeah i never like, would have been able to do that as a kid no so that felt really cathartic it felt really good and watching her storm out just like made me feel so much better about the feelings i had as a kid around my body because I got some catharsis through her actions. Totally. Um, And then we're cutting around to Mexico where Blake Lively is throwing herself at her coach, which is really super gross. I want to know where the rest of the staff is with this camp. Like, right? this camp is so badly Why run, it makes my brain Why is anybody else hurts. like, excuse me, dude, you can not have a relationship with this child. Um... But the thing, I brought it up because there's another transition here that's super fucking gross. I had to stop and take a note about it. She There's a scene where Blake Lively finally convinces her romantic interest uh, to make out with her. And there's a, they're on the beach making out. But they we cut from they're on the beach making out 
to someone spooning honey out of a jar and it's the most disgusting edit i've ever seen i was like y'all nasty it makes me so uncomfortable fucking nasty these are children do not make me think about these children's visceral body fluids i do not need that yeah no no thank you the fact that you have like i'm all for teenagers exploring and like figuring out who they are and all of that i just think this cut is gross i'm fine with the kids making out the cut is gross you could have come up with such a better way you could have done anything else um i also have a note here that um we know that lena is finally starting to open up because she's wearing pink and she let her hair down (laughs) (laughs) the signs that you find your anxiety is gone is that you can put your hair down okay but (gasps) is that why i wear my hair up all the time as someone who wore their hair up all the time and only let it down on dances and stuff because i was told that's how to be pretty it's a true trope that is horrifically oppressive you do wear a lot of pink, though. <laughs> That's true. I'm literally I... wearing pink right now. Lena, I think, like, as looking back at this movie, I identify more with Lena than I used to, uh, especially with her, um, the way that she notices and realizes she's been living by everyone else's expectations of her and her their perceptions of her. Totally. And learning how to be yourself from that is something that, I didn't learn until later in life and is so profound as a teenager to figure out. I think it's really interesting to see her start to open up there. Do we want, since we're um, sort of hitting on it, do we should talk about virginity in this movie? Oh yeah. Um, Blake Lively does end up sleeping with her coach. um, And while we blissfully cut away from the details we like pick up to her crying so we assume things have gone poorly although i don't think we ever get any kind of like i think it's more of her her dealing badly with her decision to like obviously recklessly have sex with a person in a place of authority over her yeah i think it's because like as someone who has definitely chased after sex to fill a hole in my life I can empathize with that, like, empty feeling afterward of, like, you're trying to find this moment of joy and having the aftermath not be as fabulous as you were hoping it is. Totally. I definitely feel like, I mean, I was a Christian kid, so this contributed, but, like, I feel like there's this buildup of, like, losing your virginity being some sort of, like, miraculous fireworks spectacular event. And then when it's just putting a thing in a thing, it's like, oh, uh, it turns out we're just fucking naked monkeys fucking (laughs) slapping together. Go figure. I had a very... I don't like naked monkeys slapping together. Why are my riffs like this? I you like to put uncomfortable images in people's head, and I, it's going to be haunting me forever now. Yeah, it's um, going to be the show art now. Naked monkeys slapping <laughs> together. I had a mom who was very upfront and honest about sex, and like to a mortifying degree. So, like for me, it wasn't ever like a big buildup or as scary. I think it was more of something I just wanted to get over with, so I could not have it over my head for as long and that feels like a very evolved way to look at it i wish that i had that much perspective um yeah i think the only other thing i have to talk about um the friends in this movie do so much for each other like it's wild they'll just come over in the middle of the night they'll take crying phone calls like did your friends do this? <laughs> like, would your friends do this for each other? This seems wild to me. I definitely don't remember having, like, this close of a friendship with people. But all of my friends were closeted neurodivergent queers. So we yeah. just, like, didn't really talk to each other about what was going on in our heads Because you lot. couldn't. <laughs> right. Because you couldn't even talk to yourself about it. Right. I... I definitely had friends that I knew I could 
cry to. But I also was so fiercely independent as a kid that I didn't want to need anybody. And I didn't want to let people into that. I wish I had. And I definitely knew that I wanted friends who were there for me, especially watching movies like this. I was like, why don't I have that? I need that. That's what my friendships are supposed to look like. Um, but yeah, I, it's amazing how close these girls are and how open they are with each other. And it's something that I really appreciate that this movie talks about in such an open way. I think it's fun too, that the pants bring each of the girls some kind of like connection or relationship, like to another human being, like to some greater understanding by knowing some other human being. And I think that's an interesting, I think that is like a distinctly feminine take on childhood and growing up. I feel like if this were a movie about boys, they would all, you know, go on an adventure and, and like get themselves out of some sort of danger or something. Like, I feel like the conflict, the central, ability of the pants would be it different because this feels like distinctly feminine um and i thought that was interesting yeah i definitely think a huge part of growing up femme was learning how to connect with people and learning how to expand outside of yourself and i always had this feeling that i needed to meet more people and needed to open up my circle more and that would solve all of my problems. And I I blame a lot of that on movies like this of like, you'll meet if you just meet the right stranger, they'll change your life. They'll fix you. Yeah. Right. You don't have to work on yourself at all. You just have to meet the right stranger who will fix your brain for you. All right. Do you have any other thoughts about this movie in closing before we get out of here? Yeah, I still connect with all of these characters. I think they're as one-dimensional as they are. They're written in such a way that you can pull traits from them and really connect with them at any age and really reconnect with your inner child in a fun way. Yeah, this movie's fun. I recommend it. Like, I don't <laughs> I don't recommend anyone watch movies the way we do because it sure can take the fucking fun out of it. But this is a fun movie and it's a good little lighthearted romp and especially if you grew up around the time around the time of this movie um it'll it'll be a real it'll be a real fun romp. Yeah, get your friends together, get a bottle of wine, rewatch it. It'll be great. Or watch it by yourself and Cry Try not over. to be sad, yeah. Yeah, cry over it. You know, whatever suits your boat. Floats your boat? I I don't know how to speak today. All right. Thanks, y'all. Uh, I appreciate it. Review us on iTunes. Follow us on social media or whatever. All that stuff will be in the show description. And yeah, have a good... I love you.